0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Have you ever tried to write a song? Maybe when you were young, maybe you wrote a love song to that sweet something of yours that was special in your eye. Over the last year, social media has been generating millions of views of songs created using AI, artificial intelligence software. The software is often free on the internet. And it's actually pretty simple to use. The way it works is you give the software a few parameters, like create a love song for my wife using the voices of Elvis Presley and Amy Grant. And it will scour the internet and it will look for recordings of these artists. It will mimic their voices. It will create an original love song mimicking their voices and it will be near perfect and an original piece of sheet music. Of course, copyright laws and lawyers are trying to figure out who then owns the songs, the artists whose voices are being mimicked, or the guy who sat at the laptop and just punched in a few uh, details. Now, you might think, what does a computer know about, even though it's really intelligent, what does it really know about love? Well, it doesn't. All artificial intelligence knows is what it has learned from its programmers and from what it has scoured from the Internet about what love is. You can imagine what kind of lyrics you might come up with, with the Internet as your source. Ask the same AI software to write a paper about Jesus, and you will get a conglomeration of theology from all kinds of different religious groups. History channels history which isn't very good history of Jesus, and every article that was ever written on the Internet for or against Jesus. AI is only artificial intelligence. It only mimics intelligence. Regardless of what you think of AI, it does, though, reflect on a big challenge that we face today, every one of us, every day in general. Even for those who, especially for those who want to live in love for Jesus. Specifically, what does love for Jesus look like? What's it all about? How do I pass it on? So much of what we as human beings think about things like love and happiness and things like faith and God, even salvation, are really often shaped by popular opinion, sometimes even more than any other source of authority, maybe even sometimes more than the Bible even for the Christian. As a result, we see this so, with so many people, so many Christians, even irreligious people alike, that they get confused about what these very important concepts are about. Well, I'm going to start a new series today called Ministering to Your Life Network. And over the weeks, we're going to look at how to minister love, acceptance, freedom, and healing to the people in your life network. To do that, we need to know what love is Freedom, acceptance, and healing are first in our own lives, and then what that looks like is we try to minister to the people in the life we live. First, I need to refresh your memory a little bit and remind you of the description of this life network diagram that we have up here on the overhead. If you've been a part of Lawson for the last 15 years or so, then you should be familiar with this. I created this graphic back in 2008, And every one of you has a life network like this. In the center of the life is you. And surrounding you are all the different activities and relationships that make up your life. It's a network of people. And all of them are connected to each other because of you. Your life is your family, your friends, your work, your church, the greater world, those people close or even at a distance from you, your interests and hobbies. And all your life, you will spend a lot of time and energy trying to figure out how to relate to the different people there. Some of those relations will be happily satisfying to you. Others will be stressful. Some may even be harmful. So how do you navigate all of that? How do you be a God-honoring Christian in all of that? Uh, See, now that's the other relationship ...that we need to figure out in relation to our life network, right? Where is God in all of this life of yours? Well, that depends. That's the one relationship that isn't the same for everyone. Some people don't know God in their life at all. They don't want to know God. They, they will even try to deny his existence. But then there's those who believe that God probably exists somehow... And from time to time, they might even try God. They're not sure if this relationship is for them, not sure if they want Him in their life, at least not all the time, or just where do they position Him. So in their thinking, if there is a God, then somehow I've got to try to get God who is on the outside of my life to enter my world, when I need Him, of course, so that He can help me change things for me. And most people who try God think the way that they get God to intervene in their life is to appease him somehow, kind of bribe him with things like maybe good behavior or maybe church attendance. And usually that means changing things about you even in terms of religious rule keeping. But see, all that does is add God to one of the many activities and obligations that demand my life. But doesn't that just describe a very self-centered approach to God? We want what we want, and we want God to want what we want, and we want God to help us get what we want out of the various activities and relationships that we want to keep. But being Christian means that at some point in your journey as a human being, you will be confronted by the cross of Christ. And it's there that we see that we have a self-centeredness problem. And it's that self-centeredness that causes us to sin in life. And that sin keeps God on the outside. And that's not just a problem for today. God's Word says, the Bible says, that that's an eternal problem. Our self-centeredness creates sin and sin separates us from God forever. But that's where the cross of Christ makes the difference for us. When we acknowledge and accept that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross for us, that he took the place for our death, that he paid the penalty for our sin, the sin that we deserve deserve being judged, then somehow something else changes in me. Colossians chapter 2 describes it this way. Verse 13. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That's good news, isn't it? Amen. But when you become a Christian, you got more than just your sins canceled. According to Scripture, you also got a new status. A new relationship status, and even more than that. 2 Corinthians 5 uh, 17 to 18 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Where's the old? Gone, and the new has come. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. You and I are not just forgiven. That's an awesome gift and enough enough of a gift as well. But because of the work of Christ, we are made new and we are reconciled. We are brought back to God. This isn't just a fresh start. This is a whole new you that the Bible is talking about here. And that's just the beginning of your new status with God. John chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, describes more of it. It says, yet to all who receive him, that is Christ, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Wow. So being Christian means... You've received Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, and as a result, there has been an identity change. It's not like becoming a Boy Scout or becoming a conservative or liberal or whatever else. No, you become a child of God. A child of God. And becoming Christian then doesn't just change your opinions about things in this world. It changes your entire being. It changes who you are in this world. And now, and God's new position for you now is Him in you. God now positions Himself in you. And all of this is possible only because of Christ in you. Listen to John 4. We're going to, 1 John chapter 4. We're going to turn there and stay there for the rest of the service. John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 to 21. The scripture says, This is how we know that we live in Him. And he in us. Notice the relationship, the status change. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in him, in God. What that means then, looking at our diagram is that God is no longer on the outside looking in. No longer is God an add-on to your life. God is now indwelling you forever. He becomes the very center of your person. Your new identity is now Christ in you, according to the Bible. Your whole life is now wrapped up in Him. Isn't that good news? Now this would beg the question then, Are you that kind of Christian? God has taken up residence in you. Or has he? Or is God just an add-on still? Is God still on the outside looking in? You can change that right now if you like. Very simply. Simply come to God and ask him to say, I want to become your child, Lord. Declare Jesus your personal Lord and Savior and ask him to become the center of everything in your life and the Bible tells us he will. It's that simple. If you've done that, then that makes you part of his family, a child of God. That means that all the benefits of being in God's family is now yours. Looking at your life network then, let's look at the first, let's look first at the love of God. Let's look at what the love of God means for you, now that you are in Christ, and then for the people that you're connected to in your life network. Now remember, because God is at the center of your being, can we all agree that He is the authority on everything about you? You are not, He is. He sets your identity, and therefore He sets your purpose, and He sets the goals in your life, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20 says, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That's a, that's a big one today, isn't it, in this gender-bending, sex-exalting culture that we live in. Who gets to determine our identity? Who gets to determine those things in our life? Well, if you're a Christian, not a God on the outside looking in kind of Christian, but a Christ-centered Christian where God is the authority, then Christ determines your identity, right? That's not open for debate. And I sympathize with those who struggle with their identity in a multiple uh, different ways, but they're struggling with God on that. And they know it, they feel it. But true self-worth and true freedom and joy is only possible under the authority of God and living like that. Not only that, but because He is the center of everything about you, what He says about what He says about you is truth, as opposed to what the world says about you. Jesus is the truth that you and I need to align our lives by, right? So why don't we say that together? Jesus is the truth. You need to align your life by. His truth is not, on, is not open for debate. There's none of this my truth, your truth, everybody's got their truth kind of thing. When you're in Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? Solves a lot of confusion in people's world. So there's God's truth and, there's, and then everybody else is lying. And that's not only so for your morality and your sexuality, but that's also true about how you should see you. You. If he is the authority and the center of you, then you need to see you through his eyes. Listen to 1 John 4, 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is, no, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Verse 19, We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must love his brother and sister. In order to minister love in your own life network, you have to see first something. Number one, you have to see that God is love. You have to see that God is love. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. If you were to describe God in any way, you could sum it up as love. I, I know it doesn't seem right to distill everything about God down into one word, but the Bible does. The Bible says God is love, period. Period. It is intrinsically his nature. And I like how John says we rely on the love that God has for us. Can you imagine what it would be like if God didn't love us, if he was not love? But what that means, what would that mean for us? But thank God he is love. And we can rely on that. We can rely on him always responding to us in love. In fact, verses 14 and 15 tell us why we can rely on the love that God has for us. It says, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. The incarnation of Jesus, the life, death of Jesus, is proof that God loves us. God sent His one and only Son to die for humanity. If he, why would He do that if He did not truly love us? It's what puts weight behind our favorite Bible verse that we often see on banners and at sports events and, and churches. John 3.16 For God so What? loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you see that God is love through and through? Do you acknowledge that God sent his Son to prove that he loves you? Do you rely on that love of his? Second point. God's love, God loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I came up with that one myself. Did you notice that? We sing that to our babies. We sing it in Sunday school and kids' zone and kids' church and camps. We even sing it in the car to ourselves sometimes. We probably wouldn't let anyone know it, but we believe it's true, don't we? but really it means nothing unless it has a place to land in you i can say i believe a lot of things in my bible but how do how do we translate an objective truth from god's word into my life 1 John 4, 17 says this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world you will be like Jesus. There There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. God loves you. It's true. The Bible tells us so. But there are many things that are true about God and about us from our Bibles that we fail to receive, isn't there? We say we believe God loves us, but we don't feel very loved by God. And so we act and we talk about God, about ourselves, as if it ain't true. To prove it, what did you say to yourself the last time you looked in the mirror? And much of the reason for that is because we allow circumstances in our life, most specifically fear of God abandoning us in those circumstances, or fear of what certain people in our life network think about us, and we allow those circumstances and people to speak louder than the Word of God speaks to us. Why? When God is the one who loves us truly. But that's a choice we make. And it proves that the love of God hasn't really landed in us when we don't walk it out. I think a lot of Christians are just getting by on believing the facts about Jesus. They believe Jesus died on the cross. That he rose again from the dead. That he healed the sick and he delivered the oppressed. But they don't know him in those ways themselves. I believe Jesus died on a cross for my sins but I don't feel like he really has forgiven me. I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but I don't feel like he's very alive in my life these days. I believe that Jesus healed and delivered people in his day, but not me. I just feel like he doesn't care about me then. I hold on to facts about Jesus, but I doubt God's love in the ways that the Bible says he loves me? If he did love me, why would he let bad things happen to me? How could he love me if I keep on sinning like I do? How could he really love me? Nobody else does. Is that landing anywhere? This is why I asked earlier, can we all agree, and I caught you off guard, sorry, but this is, this is the question again. Can we all agree that God is the authority on everything about you? You are not. He is. Right? He is what the Bible says he is. He sets then the identity for you. Your purpose and your goals in life. And that's not only so for your morality and your sexuality. But that's also true about how you should see you in his eyes. And according to all Scripture, by you declaring Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, God in Christ comes to indwell you. He takes up residence in the very center of your being. And would God do that if he did not love you? Not according to John 4, verse 15. If anyone acknowledges Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Who's the ultimate authority then in your life? God? And God says in his word that he loves you and is in you because the Bible tells us so. So we should believe it. Why don't you declare with me as it is written on the board there, on my best day, God loves me and is in me. But also declare this, on my worst day, God loves me and is in me. That's true of you because it's true of God. The Bible tells us so. And you can't change that about you because God himself is the ultimate authority on himself and on you. He knows you through and through. Believe him and know him and love being loved by him. Try waking up in the morning and instead of looking in the mirror and going, Ew, how can anybody love that? Say to yourself, declare out loud, I am loved by God and He is in me. He is the truth. He is my truth. And His perfect love drives fear out of me for today. Fear has to do with punishment. And I am no longer an object of God's wrath and punishment. I am now an object of His great love. I am His and He is mine. And nothing that happens to me today, whether it's the circumstances in my life, whether they're awesome or they suck, I am His and He is mine. And no matter what others say about me, whether they like me or not, I am loved by my Father. That's the truth. And His truth is all that matters for you. Try waking up to that every day and then walking it out in your life network. See, folks, the truth of God's Word needs a place to land in you. If it's going to be transformational in you and through you, It has to land. You have to know and not only believe, but declare it and live it that you are loved by God. And when you actually know what you say you believe, it will transform. It will produce truly Christ-centered living in you. And that's when you'll be able to minister true love in your life network. Number three, let him love you until you become what he is. Let him love you until you become what he is. 1 John four nineteen to 21 We love because he loved first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. And whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This command that he has given us is found in the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 13, where, he, where Jesus himself says in verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, notice that, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one one another. Notice the effect that loving God and loving one another here will have on your life network. They'll know that you are His disciple by how you love, and by how you live in God's love. It's obvious as you read through the Gospels that Jesus modeled this kind of love for us. He first loved us, and His love was so extensive and so inclusive, it drove Him to the cross of Calvary, didn't it? So ultimately we see by what he modeled that his love the love of God is a selfless self-sacrificing love that really is the only kind of love there is Romans 5:8 but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ what died for us You know what that shows us God didn't choose to love you because you were lovely He loved you so that you could become loving, so that you could become what he is. God is love. So that you could become what he is. A Christian is supposed to be love. Now, before you say amen to that, notice what that means. God's love the love the Father demonstrated by sending His one and only Son, and then the love that Jesus demonstrated on the cross of Calvary was a selfless, self-sacrificing love. Now look at your life network. Can you be loved there? God says you must. In fact, He commanded it. But isn't it good when your heart and the commands of God line up together? And that's the goal of growing in his love. 1 John 4.20 Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Uh Uh-oh. But don't worry. God says you can love like him there. Even those people. 1 John 3. Back it up a chapter. Verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, you can love like him as you let him love you until you become what he is. What is he? God is love. Again, here's where you wake up in the morning and you spend time considering and meditating on the lavish love that God has for you. He lavished his self-sacrificing love on you by going to that cross, by granting you the privilege of becoming a child of God, by including you in his family. Hallelujah. He recreated you and he made you a new being. And he came into the very center of your being so that you could live out what he is. He loves you because you're his. As you watch how he mingled with the people in his own life network, the life network that the Father placed him in, we saw how Jesus, we see as we read through the Gospels, we see how Jesus loved his disciples, even Judas. How he loved the crowds, even the Pharisees and Sadducees. How he loved the Samaritan woman and the demon-possessed man. How he loved the prostitutes and the politicians. How he loved the lepers and the Roman centurions who beat him and nailed him to the cross saying, Father, forgive them. You see, him modeling the command that he expects us to follow is the way of Jesus. And he is the way, the truth and in that we find life. I don't know how anyone can sit under that kind of model and not be compelled to follow Him in lavishing love on others. In fact, we must, according to the Bible. He commands it. But here's the thing. Philippians 2, 1-5. to Therefore, if, anyone, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then be like-minded, having the same love. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, how? Above yourself. Stop looking to your own interests and look to the interests of others. And in your relationships, in your life network, this is the Mike Newsom translation part of this verse, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Oh, fellow Christians, this comes back to what I said earlier. Because you are united with Christ, that makes God, that puts God at the very center of your being. So can we all agree, because he lavished such great love on you, that he is the authority of everything about you. You are not, he is. That means that you will need to learn to wake up each morning, willingly, eagerly, letting him determine not only your identity, your purpose and your goals, but also your obedience for the day. First John four twenty one. he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. That's what letting him lo- lavishly love you looks like until you become what he is because he is in you. And if you, e- if you are eager for it, you will grow to be like him more and more every day. And you will see the people in your life network, even your enemies, even the people who've hurt you, maybe even abused you. And they abused Jesus, so he knows what he's talking about. And you will see in them the potential that they could have if, God, if they were to allow God to lavishly love on them. Just like God did for you. Just like he did for you when you were an enemy in your mind and your evil behavior. When you kept God on the outside of your life. When you only acknowledged him when you were desperate enough to try God. Don't think I don't know what that's like. I've got a gift for you today after communion. Maybe you can pick it up at communion. But I have a little bracelet here for you. A little friendship bracelet. But when you look at the bracelet... And if I could be so bold as to ask you to even just wear it throughout the month that we're doing this series. But when you look at it, it's a circle. Maybe a little malformed, but it's a circle. And as you look at that, remind yourself that Christ is in you. He's the very center of your being. Not only that, because it's a circle, let it remind you of your life network. There's people that you're connected to that God wants to love. It's red, reminding us of God's lavish love for us. So as you see it throughout the day, may it remind you of who you are now in Christ. And may it remind you to love others in your life network. And may it remind you to pray for them. That they would discover God's lavish love for them. So it's here. Whether you pick it up during communion or after the service, it's up to you. Let's pause and pray for a moment, shall we, Father? At the beginning of this message, we said we postured ourselves, positioned ourselves to receive from your word, and we mean it. And Lord, we like hearing that you love us. But that has huge implications for us each and every day. It means that we can't live like we used to when we were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior, when we were outside of Christ when we are not part of your family. But now we are. And so, Lord, because we are, and because of who we are, and because of whose we are, Lord, you expect a different lifestyle from us. And we get that. Love is as much a command as we hope it will become a feeling for us. Lord, I know you love each of these people here in this room and those that are watching online with a lavish love because you sent Jesus to the cross for them but you did so much more than just that that just paved the way Lord as we are now in this communion meal soon here these two emblems of bread and cup body and blood Lord may these remind us of your lavish love and may we reciprocate May we humble ourselves and have the same mind as Christ as a result of this meal. May we learn what it means to love others by the example that you modeled for us, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for you indwelling us. Now fill us with the life of Jesus, we pray, in and through this meal, so that we can truly become like you